This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Wait, I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for coming in. Honestly, if, you're, if this is your first Sunday, thank you. I mean, so, we are so honored that, that you're here. And um, I hang out in the lobby. Mario hangs out in the lobby afterwards. And I love being with the kids. And so if you brought your kids, I'll probably greet them first. Okay. So anyway, thank you for coming to be part. Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask us a question. Um, a couple questions. First of all, who's, any, who's got their Christmas tree up and all of that, right? We're decorating for Christmas. You light the houses. Jen and I were in Yakima for a couple of days this week. And um, there was this, it's basically a farm. And I think they've lit every tre- lighted every tree on their farm. It's crazy. You know, we're, we're, we're into celebrating in, in that way, right? I'm also going to ask you another question because for most of us, we'll have family coming over or you'll have guests coming over at some time during this, this season. And so here's a question that when I put it up on the screen, I want you to turn and ask one another. And, and, and th- those of you at home, you can ask yourself this sa- the same question. Okay, are you ready for it? Okay, tell me you're ready for the question. You ready for the question? Okay, here it is right there. We're asking ourselves, where's the question? There it is right there. Who cleans their house before company arrives? Okay, ask one another. Who does that? Who cleans their house? Right? Now, don't, don't, don't out anybody at all, but how many go, yeah, we clean our house before company arrives, okay? So if you ask us, yeah, so Jen says, um, we have people coming over, so we've got to do house cleaning, you know, before people come and dirty the house. Now, not to, uh, not to brag, but I help do house cleaning. I actually enjoy it. I actually enjoy it. So um, anyway, so but Jen says, no, we got people come. It's the first time my wife has ever hollered me down as sitting down here. It's just Christmas season, honey. We don't. Okay. Um, so we, I, I'm the guy though. I'm the, we got people coming over to the house, right? We got, and, I'm the, and Jen says, well, we're going to clean the house. And we go like, why? Why? Because. We're going to clean the house, and as soon as the first person walks in the house, it's going to be dirty again, right? At, le- at least in our home, I mean, we can go through and we clean the entire house, but the house is not clean until the bathrooms are clean. So the bathrooms have to be clean, so we, 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 we do all that. So let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced this? So you clean your house, company's coming over, and then someone walks through and makes a mess out of what you just cleaned. For some of us, maybe it was one of our kids, right? Right, this made a mess out of what you just, or, or let, let's forget the house for a second. You cleaned your truck, you cleaned your car, you cleaned your vehicle, and then someone gets in with muddy feet, right? And just makes a mess out of what you just cleaned. And what you want to say is what? Clean up your mess. Clean it up. Look, I just cleaned it, you made the mess, now it's your turn. I mean, we've said that to our, our, our students sometimes, right? But what happens if the dog comes in, muddy feet, makes the mess? What are you going to say? Clean up the mess, dog? 
or, or maybe, maybe, maybe it's one of your kids that's young enough, they just don't understand that. What happens if the mess that they just made, they don't have the ability to clean up? Now it's a different story, isn't it? I'll tell you a story. Um, so Jim and I have um, a house that was built in 1924, and so it would be 100 years next, next year. I know that in some parts of the country, if you live in a 100-year-old home, that's, that's a, basically a new home. That's not even old. Our part of the country, that's kind of an old home. And so um, we were doing a remodel some years ago, and our home had everyone, you know what knob and tube wiring is? Okay, so that's the old wiring, right? Came, came, came on the scene somewhere in the 1800s, right up to the 1930s, and so our home was built in 1924, so it had that old knob and tube wiring. Now, if there's one thing I, I dislike very, very much um, in life, that's anything to do with electrical. I pretty much can plug things in, and beyond that, it's beyond my ability to deal with, right? So, but I had, I, I had dove, dove into remodeling our, our home and, and making some changes, and that resulted in a lot of knob and tube wiring laying upstairs on my floor. When I mentioned a mess, this is what I had. I had a mess, I had wires. Also in that day, it's different now, but in that day we had the old fuse box where you screw in the fuses. Yeah, maybe they still exist, yeah, I don't know, but when one of those fuses popped, it was like spooky and scary and you know, made a lot of noise, right? So anyway, I had all this knob and tube wiring. Of course, I took the fuse out, right? Because I'm going to wire it back together. <laughs> this is the guy who has nothing to do with electric, but I'm sure I can do it. So I, I took wiring, uh, I was upstairs, and I began to wire it, wire it together, black, black wires. You know, I mean, a black wire goes to the black wire, right? Problem is, they're all black. So. Um, I did that, and I finished it, and then I yelled down to Jen to screw in the fuse. When Jen screw, screwed the fuse in, and it hit the electrical power, that thing popped in such an incredible way that all I could hear was my wife screaming because I had wired the, the wires wrong, you know. So I took a second attempt at it. I'm not sure how I convinced her to screw the fuse in the second time, but you, you probably know what happened, right? The second time, the fuse hit and it popped and she let out a screen, and at which point she declared, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that again. Here's, here's what I had, I had a huge mess. I mean, I'm telling you, I had wires laying everywhere, and so I had to call my friend who knows all about electricity to come over and fix the mess I didn't have the ability to fix. And the reality is I had to call in help from the outside to fix what I had messed up. And, and what I'd like to tell you is I think that's the Christmas story. That's, that's what we're celebrating this, this time of year, that we, we, had, we had made a mess. Humankind had, had made a mess, and we had no ability to clean it up ourselves. If someone said to us, clean it up, take care of your own thing, if God would have said that to us, we have no ability to do that. That's why I want to talk to you about again today. So I have some Monday morning Christmas thoughts. Now this goes back to last Monday morning when I'm pondering and thinking about um, what we're going to talk about today. So here are my Monday morning Christmas thoughts. Are you ready? Number one, God created the perfect world without sin. He created the perfect world. Like, there was no sin when he created Adam and Eve and the garden. It was perfect. Let me ask you this question. Do you long for that day again? 
Because it's coming, you know. If you know Jesus, it, it's, it's, it's coming. And number two, and I'll just say it this way, we had wires crossed everywhere, right? The only thing we could do was kind of stand back and go like, what a mess we've created, and we have no ability to actually, actually fix it. And it was into this world that each of us was born sinful or in this mess because of of the first Adam. And without rescue, without someone stepping in to the world that we created this mess in, we have no no ability. But the good news is this, and it's it's a Bible verse that a lot of people have memorized. And if you're new to the Bible, maybe this would be the first time you'll hear it. But John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, what? That he sent his son to fix the mess. <laughs> he sent his son to fix what we had totally messed up because he loves, loves us. And so let me give you kind of the bottom line up front, right? The bluff up front where we're going um, today. And it's just simple. But like for you to remember, Jesus did for us what we were not able to do ourselves. We couldn't fix it. Jesus did for us what we could not do ourselves. We were born into a mess with no ability. So you do know, and we believe and we teach, that everyone was born a sinner. Like no one was born sinless. Only one was, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. You may have been the cutest baby ever, but you were still a sinful little baby. Um, We all were because we were born into sin. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then I, I, I say it like this, and perhaps you do too, that we're the reason for the season. So when you hear someone so go, Jesus is the reason for the season, no, no, he's not. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. Jesus came because of the mess that we had created, but we are the reason that he came. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world for you and for me. We are the reason. And he did so at just the right time. Now, I want to share with you a passage out of the, the, the book of Romans, where Paul, Paul talks about that, but I want you to think about just the right time in your own life as I read it. For me, just the right time. I was young. I, w- I was nine. For you, may have been older in life when all of a sudden it just felt like maybe the light came on, and all of a sudden you, you just stood in that place like I did with you know, what am I going to do with this? Like, life is, is a mess. I have no hope. I have, you know, no, no future ahead of me a, at all. And at that right moment, at that right time, Jesus steps into it. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. When we were utterly helpless. Now, I could sit on that for a while, and so could you. When I was utterly helpless to do anything with my life. And you were there, too. And I was there. It wasn't a thing like wiring in a house. It was like I was utterly helpless to deal with this hopeless state that I was in. That's your story and that's my story. But when we were there, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person especially good, maybe. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still making a mess of things, you know, God sent his son. Christ came and died for us. How did it happen? Well, we heard um, a little bit of the story from the Lindalls this morning as we lit the candle. 
But Luke chapter 1 is a passage that many will read Christmas morning. Let me share it with you. This is how it happened. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Hang on to that. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Great Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Just imagine the moment, right? Confused and disturbed, and maybe that's putting it lightly, but confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Can I just pause there for a moment, just kind of throw out a little sidebar? Do you notice that the angel didn't ask Mary if she wanted to do this? Have you caught that? It's like, Mary, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a baby, right? And this is what's going to happen. And I'm thinking, what if he would have said, hey, Mary, have a job for you to do. Would you accept this? What would you do? And we're like, oh, no. Anyway, we'll continue. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. And then Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So in that selection of scripture, um, see if you caught them, the angel predicted five things that, that would happen. Um, number one, that um, this son, Jesus, will be, number one, very, very great. He will be very great. Number two, he will be called the son of the Most High. Now, that, those are significant words. That's a significant um, designation, and Mary would not have missed that significance because it pointed to equality with Yahweh. The phrase, the son of, was often used to refer to the one who possessed his father's qualities, now think about that for just a moment. So you possess probably some of your father's qualities, whatever they might be. I do, even though I never knew my dad. I, I have things I do, and you know, my older brother and sister will often go, well, that's, that's what your dad used to do. But we, we possess those qualities. But just think about this. This one will possess the qualities of the Most High, God. Not another. This is not another human birth. We'll talk about that in just, just a moment. But the qualities he would possess would reflect God, the creator. The third thing was he will be given the throne of his father, David. Number four, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And this one is the really, really good news. Say it with me. His kingdom, his kingdom will never end. God himself, God himself would come into this world in the person of Jesus in the flesh. God would arrive and step into the mess that we created. John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us or put his home among us. Just think about that. He like moved into your neighborhood and he moved into my neighborhood. He tabernacled to, he, he, to take up residence with you and me and he comes 
to deal with the sin problem that all of us were born into. And so the next question is huge. And last week I said, we're going to talk about the virgin birth for just a moment because it's not just um, a nice little story that we read, right? It's not just like a fun little thing that God just threw in there because he knew that a bunch of us would be reading the story like even this morning or during the Christmas season. It was absolutely necessary that he come in this way. So all around the world today, or this Christmas season, this Christmas story will, will, will be read. We'll do it before dinner, perhaps, or the opening of gifts, which was our tradition when Jin was growing up. And sometimes we would do so, and we, we may not stop and just kind of ponder why this really matters, born of a virgin. Why, why did it happen this way? Well, Right back to our main point this morning, it's all about what you and I could not do ourselves. It's all about Jesus coming into the world to do what we couldn't. It's all about God the Father sending his son into the mess that we created and then saying, look, I'm going to show you the way out. I'm going to offer you a way out. Jesus was born of, of a virgin. So this is what happened. This was the immaterial or, or the spirit and the material, Mary's womb, coming together to fulfill biblical prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God, God with us. Here's the reality. You know, there are billions of people born throughout history only one has been born of a virgin. Right? Billions of people born, only one born of a virgin, Jesus. And as a result, he was born sinless. And this is absolutely critical for us to understand. Joseph the carpenter did not pass on his sinful nature for the simple reason that Joseph was not the father. Jesus had no sin nature. And if you hear teaching, Anything different than that right there is not biblical teaching. I will tell you, you will hear that. Jesus had no sin nature. Hebrews chapter 7, the author writes this. He is the kind of high priest we need. So when I created this mess, I needed someone who could come in and deal with the mess. And the writer of Hebrews says this. He's the kind of high priest that we need. Because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. Jesus had no sin nature. He could deal with our sin problem. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. And the next verse says, once and for all. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verse 19. It was the precious blood of Christ... The sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him as your ransom. It, he was the perfect, spotless, sinless one that would sacrifice his body for you and for me. In Romans chapter 3, it says this, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, meaning that God's righteous judgment was satisfied, the wrath of God was, was turned away through the blood of Jesus to be received by faith. And we talked about that some 
months ago now that this is not received by works. And so if you're in that place like you just work hard, you work hard, you work hard to earn his favor, that's not how it's received. It's by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Therefore, this is, this is it. Therefore, his virgin birth sits at the center of our salvation or our rescue. And this is a truth that you and I must hold absolutely firmly to. Don McLeod um, wrote this. It's coming up on the screen. He says, the virgin birth is posted on the guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas. And none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New, of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalization,ism, informing us that all that follows belongs to the same order as itself, and that if we find it offensive, there is no point in proceeding further. It is true that it kind of goes beyond our human mind to kind of figure this thing out, yes? Aren't you glad you don't have to figure it out, you just have to receive it? That, that, that's the Christmas, the Christmas story. We made a mess, he stepped in, and by faith, we receive, I'll just call it this, the, the fix. The fix. Athanasius of, Exan, of Alexandria, and it's a book I'm reading called On the Incarnation. It's kind of old language, but just, just listen to it. He, that is Jesus, he has come into our country and dwelt in one body amidst the many. And in consequence, the designs of the enemy against mankind have been foiled and the corruption of death, which formerly held them in its power, has simply ceased to be. For the human race would have perished utterly had not the Lord and Savior of all, the Son of God, come among us to put an end to the death. Here, here's what he's saying. Like, like there was no hope. There was, there was no way to fix this, this mess unless he had come. Paul Tripp um, who was an author I've, I've read, and he had a little devotional that our group is going through in, in our men's group. He said this, the beautiful world that God created, that goes back to the beginning, right? The beautiful world that God created was now broken and groaning, the direct result of the rebellion of the ones God had made in his own image, and had placed his guiding and providing love upon. He says the evidence of his brokenness was everywhere, from the inner recesses of the hearts of people, to violence and corruption of government, to the existence of plagues and diseases. In one of the gorgeous mysteries of God's sovereign grace, he looked on his broken, rebellious word, world with eyes of mercy. So he says, I, it's mercy and grace, it's mercy. And then Tripp goes on, he says, his response would be, to, would be intervention and rescue. Now it's like, you think about that for just a moment. He, he was the one that said, like, okay, I, I've got to fix it. Um, they keep messing it up. They messed it up again, and I'm going to fix it. His response would be intervention and rescue. He would do in grace what the law could never do. He would do in grace what we could never do for ourselves. He would offer the only thing that would ever address the need and solve the problem. He himself would become the greatest, most costly, most transformational gift Ever. There's a good place to say amen. That's the Christmas story. Now, I'm going to ask you to kind of ponder 
um, something here in just a moment. When you ponder, you kind of go like, hmm, hmm. I'm going to ask you to go, hmm. And, and then I'm, I'm going to ask you to kind of, kind of like grasp something, and I'm going to ask you to, to hold tightly to a couple things here as we kind of wrap up, like go like, hmm, and then hang on to this. Number one, this was a supernatural birth orchestrated by a loving God who desires all to be saved. Everybody go, hmm. This was a supernatural birth that God orchestrated. It wasn't dreamt up by man. We, we couldn't do that. By a loving God who desires all to be saved. So you've been hanging around Gateway for a while. I always say it this way. Um, for God so loved the world, one person at a time. That was you and, and that was me. Only God can make something out of Nothing. You can't, I can't. It was only God who could perform the miracle of the incarnation and the, and the virgin birth. It was only God who, who, who could do that. So ponder that. Hold tightly to that truth. Number two, rescue must come from the outside. We have no ability to save ourselves. Hmm. Hold tightly to that. Hold tightly to that one. <laughs> you didn't have the ability. I didn't have the ability. So God stepped into your mess, into my mess, and he did what we could not do. Galatians chapter 3. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. Galatians chapter 3. And then Hebrews chapter 10. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ, the one who came, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. His sacrifice, his own body, did what all other sacrifices under the law could not do. Make sins, make forgiveness of sins possible. It couldn't do that once and for all, the former. But Jesus has come and his sacrifice once and for all, never to be repeated again, to be received by faith. Why? That's a good question. Why would he do that? Why would he step into the mess that we created? Why would he do that? There's only one word. You know what the word is? Somebody say it. Yeah, love, exactly, because of his deep love for mankind. All of this because of his deep love for you. And I, I'd like for us to just, in the next few moments, kind of ponder this again. He, he did all of this for you, and he did it for me. Um, just think about that in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, the hope that you now have, he did this for you. He stepped into this mess for you. He sacrificed for you. He gave his life for you. Someone once accurately stated, and I, I think it's true, that if you're selling something, a house or a car or, or some, some other item, it's not ultimately the seller who determines the value, it's the buyer. You can ask what you want, right? You can put a price tag on your house, I've seen it and you've seen it. Um, you go like, man, no one's gonna buy that. Well, the seller thinks it's worth it, but ultimately it's the buyer who determines the, the, the value. 
Um, the 12 days of Christmas, by the way, I don't know if, you, if you're into that, but if you're going to do the 12 days of Christmas, it's going to cost you around $46,000, something like that. And we talk about gift, gift giving and selling and receiving and all, all this. And I get that your purchase of a gift is meant to express your love for that person. It is. I mean, rarely will we give a gift and go, hey, I don't really care about you, right? So here, just take it, go. You know, we don't do that. We do that to express how much we care and how much we love. Well, if it's true that the purchaser ultimately determines the value, then that should mean something to us. We talk about Jesus purchasing our salvation. When Jesus purchased your salvation through his death and resurrection, his very life, he placed a value on you in your eternal soul. He said to you and he said to me, he said to everyone, this is how much I love you. This is how much I value you. I am willing to give you my life. And he did. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. You were bought with a price. God our Father, the one who purchased our salvation, determined our value, your value, by sending his son for you and for me. That's how valuable you are to him. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to deal with the mess we created? Aren't you thankful that we don't have to try to figure out how to get the wires back together and just maybe it will work? Maybe, and we'll just see if it does. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to do that? I am. No, the mess we created, God stepped into and sent his son Jesus. That's the Christmas story. Jesus did for you and for me what we could not do for ourselves. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in two prayers. The first one is going to be a prayer that says, God, thank you for what you did for me. Let's make it personal. Thank you for what you did for me. You stepped into the mess. And because you did, I have a brand new hope in life. Let's do that. Let's pray that. And then I'm going to pray what is often referred to as kind of a prayer of salvation. It just says this, God, I, I want to believe in you. I want to trust you. That's for those of you who maybe have pondered life and maybe you've not stepped into faith, right? Trusting in him and believing in him. And you're looking at life, you're going like, wow, this is a mess. What do I do with it? I'm, I don't know what the future would be. I don't know what happens after I die. I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, Jesus says, if you just step toward him in faith, in belief, you will receive a brand new life. So I'm going to pray that prayer too. And so if you're sitting here in person or you're online and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, here's your opportunity. And I've said it and I'm going to say it again. It's not like you got to line up the proper words, right? It's not like the magic of the words. It's, it's the belief in Jesus, right? And you can join me in that prayer. So let's stand together, shall we? Now, let's take and thank him for who he is and what he did. So Father, I thank you for what you have done for each and every one of us. Um, we did, <laughs> mankind, we created this mess um, of sinful disobedience. We could never get it right. We had no ability, no capacity to fix it. But you and your mercy stepped into this world. You sent your son Jesus to die on our behalf, to be the once and for all ultimate sacrifice for our sins, never to be repeated again. And then you just called us to believe in you. And for those of us who in this moment are just saying thank you for that, God, um, we think back to when it, 
maybe an altar or, or maybe a place in our home or a place in our car when we just got to the end and we said, I, what do I do? And we look to you and you made us a brand new person. We just proclaimed our belief and trust in you made you Lord of our life. And so this morning, we just pause and we say thank you for that. Thank you for doing what we could for us what we could not do for ourselves. And if you're here and you're listening online, um, you've never received Jesus, a simple prayer goes, Jesus, I just trust in you. I want to believe in you. Now I've created mess. I feel like I have no hope. But God, in this moment, I want, I want to trust you. I want to make you Lord of my life. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I bow my life, I fix my eyes on Christ's mind. Hope has, hope has a name. His name is Jesus, my Savior's call has set the sinner free. Hope has a name. Hope has a name, his name is Jesus, my Savior's cross has set the sinner free. Hope has a name, his name is Jesus, oh Christ be praised, I have victory. Oh, Christ, we praise, I have victory. 